Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the first ever NCDA alumni podcast. Uh, we've got six alumni here on the line, an all-star team of analysts just waiting to tackle a variety of dodgeball-related topics. My name is Josh Raymer. I was uh, captain at Western Kentucky University from 2007 till my graduation in uh, 2010. So, Leslie, you want to go next? Hi, my name is Leslie Ellison. My number was 21 inches. I played for Kent State University from the years of fall 2008 to spring 2012, and I was the first girl football player for Kent. Hi, my name is Chris. I was number 65. I played from 2000 to 2012 for Kent State Dodgeball. I was the giant pain on the front line of the court that never moved for those of you that played with me. Hi, I'm Alex Bomas. Uh, I founded the Michigan State University dodgeball team all the way back in 2003, through, uh, and I played through 2007. Uh, player number 59, and uh, you probably never actually saw me on the court. I was usually doing the administrative stuff, or if I was playing, I guarantee I was hiding behind someone else just trying for a cross-court shot. And I'm Ryan Men. Uh, I was an assistant captain in the 2011 year and took over as a co-captain in the 2012 year. Uh, I love the transition game of the dodgeball, so I was running back and forth on the court. It's so much fun. Uh, and, and I am Mike McCarthy. I uh, attended CM, I went to CMU, played for three years, number 55. Uh, and I was a dude that rocked the Mohawk at Nationals. And I believe was referred to as the cancer in an NCAA <laughs> locker room on the Nationals broadcast. Uh, uh, we, we have to throw Zach, Zach Newton some love for uh, for tossing that little nugget out there. But um, happy birthday, brother! Yeah, happy birthday, Zach! Well, thank God it wasn't contagious. <laughs> yeah, sorry, guys. Uh, well, guys, I think the uh, first topic we're going to get into here is um, the widening of the roster size uh, for Nationals. Uh, in the advantages column for the um, expanding the roster size, it um, opens up the um the the tournament to more entertaining games on the second day because everyone's body is just wrecked uh after that first day at nationals and um it really helps uh i think retention especially with younger teams and and established teams as well because you uh you get you don't have to turn people away and having to miss out on the biggest tournament of the year i think would be a really big um you know, deterrent to some people coming back if they had put in a full season's worth of work in practicing games. Absolutely. Well, here's a possibility. Uh, um, you, you've got competing interests here, obviously. You've got the first one of parity, you know, my 20 guys versus your 20 guys versus Mike's 20 guys, and just go at it the entire uh, weekend long. At the same time, if you were to open it up and say, You know, so long as you just use the same 20 people in each individual round, we don't care which 20 people there are. There is a huge incentive to recruit as many people as you possibly can and include those people in the weekend's trip and get whole, uh, a whole lot more people involved in that national tournament weekend experience and just generally create more inclusiveness And, you know, if you've, you put the B team in for versus, you know, our, our lady of perpetual sorrow for your game against them, you know, okay, sure, who cares? I mean, what, what difference does it make? I mean, if a team wants to be more serious and save their guys for Sunday, okay. Uh, but I don't think that that's the driving force for many teams. And if you can get more people in, in general, I, I think that'd be a positive thing. I do agree with getting more people in, but I also feel that a lot of the problems on Sunday can be mitigated by having some of the people that don't throw as often actually throw a little more. You have some people go for some catches that they normally wouldn't if you're up enough to save the people's on So, I mean, a different play style also would help that fact. It's nice to increase the roster size, but increasing it by, like, 20 might be a little ridiculous for some teams who on that second day only have maybe that 21, 22 kids versus an entire team of, let's say, 50 guys who have full subs for every single game. 
that might be just a bit too much of an unfair advantage if you don't put a cap on that number. Yeah, and I, and I wasn't thinking 20 either. I was thinking, you know, 5, 6, 7. Because most teams, I mean, unless you're Grand Valley and you have an extra 80 people that want to play. Or JMU. Well, or who? JMU. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean. They have Some of these teams have a stupid amount of, of students <laughs> that want to play. And then you have other teams that have maybe that 20, 21, 22, 23 to 30 people that – you know, you have that extra five to ten people that are like, oh, well, sorry, you can't come play. Well, if we open up that roster just a little, and I actually like Bones's point where, hey, if you play the same 20 people for this round, you can bring as many as you want, really, but you have to play that same 20 people, and you can't add any more during that time. So, I mean, it, it's – I understand that, that it would be uh, a great thing for teams that have – 80 people that want to bring an extra group of group of uh, uh, players, but then it also helps out that team that are at 15 to 20 to 25, and you have the same guys throwing all day long or the same guys playing all day long, and then you have that extra group that can go and step in. They're fresh. They're they're not, you know, they don't have those shoulder problems or elbow problems or whatever problems they have because they haven't uh, continuously just gone at it all day long. Yeah, but so, people, they could also do, like, a JV team and a varsity team. I mean, that's another option if you have so many people, which is great to have play, but at the same time, you know, to be able to – oh, God, what? No, keep going. You're good. Yeah, keep going. I Sorry, I was reading. Um, It, it <laughs> would you know, be best to do the JV team just to at least get those people out on the court and foster their interest, you know what I mean, especially if, the, if they're the younger, fresher players that are – don't really know what they're walking into. The problem with that is we tr- we've always tried to set up that JV team or that JV tournament, and and we've never gotten around to it, or, or we didn't have the space to do it. So that was my only concern about it. So I I, I understand what you're saying, and, and having a JV having JV teams would be awesome, and bringing JV teams to that final tournament would be great. But it just kind of it, it's. It's disappointing for those that don't get to play, especially. And that, that was my main thing was I hated to have to go up to somebody that I've seen all year long, I've been friends with all year long, and be like, hey, you can not you can come with us, but you're not going to be able to get in the game because it's against the rules. Yeah, I think that's definitely a topic that needs to be brought up. Um, Ryan, did you want to jump in there and add anything else? No, I mean, I just agree with that a few extra players added to the roster will would be a good idea. All right, well, let's move on. And, um, Jason, this is actually a topic that you brought up, which was um, players calling out their opponents on the court as opposed to the refs and just, in general, on the court etiquette. So why don't you kind of get that topic going for us? Um, I don't really like bringing up teams, but I will bring this up. I'm a very mild-mannered person when I play. Almost everyone can tell, tell you that. I sit there, I don't say anything, I don't yell. I got three yellow cards in one game versus Kentucky. And they were refing their own game. <laughs> Court etiquette is a must. When you hit somebody and they hold up the ball and then say, it hit the ball, and then look at the ref, and the ref doesn't say anything, that's the end of the matter. You don't get to scream about it for another 20 minutes. You don't need to point fingers for another hour. It's the ref's decision, plain and simple. If you think you hit them, ask the ref. You don't need to point fingers and yell at the opposing players. I know I'm very hard to hit. That's my job. It's what I do best. If you hit me, I'm going to go off the court. If you hit my ball, I'm going to stand there, and I don't have to show you that it hit my ball. So the ref calls me out. I'm standing there. Yelling yeah. and crying doesn't do anything. I personally don't know what's worse, having another player scream at you to go out when you may or may not be out and it's waiting for ref's call, or being a ref and having a parent scream at you. I know having <laughs> several matches and knowing the very distinct <laughs> from a ball, hitting another ball, you'll get a parent that comes up to you and is like, oh my god, that person is so totally out, I totally hit them. It's like, no, did you hear the sh- noise? Because I did, and it hit 
it, it, it hit the ball. Um, not. Oh my god, I'm sorry that this made me really laugh. Um, it hit the ball, and and trying to tell that parent you need to just calm down and not scream at me because that's distracting me from what I'm trying to do to be able to ref this game fairly. Um. Oh, okay. Uh, Mike, I think you're next. You and your other chair. <laughs> yeah, my bad, guys. I don't know what that was, but anyway, what were we talking about? Uh, <laughs> I, I don't even know. We're all just so distracted. No, we were talking about um, player etiquette on the court etiquette. Oh, well, you know, in Bournemouth, I think, have refed a ton of games, and I see this every single game, and it's just... It's unbelievable that what some of the, some of people say and what parents say and friends say and uh, you know it just comes down to people understanding that whatever the ref says, that's what goes. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you think they're wrong or if you think they're right or if you agree with what they said or you agree with what's what uh, what you you know what I mean. If they whatever they say is how it goes, right? So if you disagree or you do something incorrect, then too bad. So I, I'm actually really, really surprised that after all the matches that uh, Boomis has um, ref for Kent, he has not thrown me off the court for my general just player etiquette of running around screaming and well, not. We'll get to that in a second. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm actually very surprised that Jason has ended up with three cards in one match, and after all of the nonsense that I would be screaming on the court, that I had not gotten ejected ever or gotten a card ever in a game. All right, speaking for myself uh, as an official, um, I, I'm reminded of one moment during last year's national tournament where uh, some certain language was used by a person who is participating in this podcast who shall rename remain nameless and, and just the sheer abject shock of that language coming out resulted in me turning my head uh 45 degrees and going really and the look of abject horror on her face i think <laughs> someone's enough, just been outed it's <laughs> enough for me to avoid giving a card because i you, Leslie, you look friggin' mortified, <laughs> and you know that was better than anything I could have possibly done. Uh, but uh, speaking on a more general sense, <clears throat> um, you know, I, I've had uh, players' mothers uh, yell at me regarding particular calls, and, and and unless we forget, we're playing dodgeball here, and, and I've got people's parents yelling at me. I mean, I've ref, uh, you know, Pop Warner football where people's parents have gotten absolutely livid. Honestly, it didn't compare to some of the the, uh, the verbal uh, commentary that I've received uh, from from some teams, and it's kind of silly, really. Um, but I, I guess uh, all I can say is that the more, and I'm choosing my language carefully here because I am a, a member of the Michigan State Bar, and I'm supposed to be respectful and professional at all times, um, some of the language used and, and the, the commentary that you receive as an official is just completely unnecessary. And if a whole team starts pointing and yelling, it really doesn't serve anything except for the official to become annoyed at that particular team. The, the biggest cue that we have is when a ball comes very close to your person and you instinctively look down or to whatever place that ball may have grazed you wait a half second and then you look at the official i guarantee if you're doing that we've got a pretty good picture of what just happened and if the official has any sort of backbone we're gonna call you out yeah i think we can all agree that dodgeball is one of the toughest sports to ref um amongst all professional sports um, just with 30 people on the court and 10 balls flying around the court, the ref cannot see every, everything. And I've seen every game with a head ref, a assistant ref, two line judges, and two shot callers all roughing the game. And people are going to get hit and not go out. Um, and that's the thing that if we, when we were talking about earlier, that a pro of dropping the number of players to 10 players on each team, it will be easier for the ref to see who's getting hit and who's not getting hit. 
Mike, did you want to jump in here? Uh, I mean, going along with what Bomas said, uh, it's just like I, I made this point before. It's what the ref says, and it's it's that's how it goes. It doesn't matter what you think happened, what the other team think happened, what the fans thought happened. If the ref calls you out, go out. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can figure it out. You can figure it out later. You know what? If if something goes your your if something doesn't go your way, change it. Do something different. Make it and then turn it around and make it to a positive. You know what I mean? So it's it is what it is. Refing's the hardest sport to ref dodgeball. It's it's almost a guessing game. And I'm sure Bonus will agree with me on this. Oh, I've guessed on plenty of calls. Oh, and you know, and people people are gonna scream at you. And I've had good friends of mine in this league just completely chew me out while I'm refing. And this was at the last nationals. I mean, just just completely chew you out. And it's like ten seconds after the game. Hey, Mike, I'm sorry. Good game. Great job refing. Sorry I chewed you out. And you know what? I get it. So I'm not saying I'm prone to not not screaming at somebody for making a bad call or bad decision. But move on, turn it around, make it better for yourself, and that's the best thing you can do. So, I mean, just listen to the refs is basically what I'm trying to say. Um, I had two things I was going to interject again. One, to, on your previous comment with, if you're looking down at the spot, you just got hit, and then you look at the ref like, really? You need to pick refs that are going to be able to make those calls. You can't just put players in there that are just standing around that just don't want to particularly do it. You need the people that will make the calls. The other thing is a lot of the new teams that have come in, like Miami and RIT, they have been very legitimate in playing. They have no problems. They're very honest. They're very fair. I've seen people who I don't even think have been hit, and they're like, no, 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 it barely grazed me. I'm going out. Like That's the kind of etiquette we need on the court. When somebody gets hit three different ways to Sunday, and they still sit there and go, no, I'm still in, we kind of have to crack down on that some way. I don't know exactly the right way to do it, but something needs to be taken about it. Well, I think in wrapping this uh, this part of the podcast up, uh, you know, there's sort of a shared responsibility uh, between both the players uh, and the officials, and, and there's one game in particular from last year's national tournament that really captures uh, what I'm trying to say here. Uh, Mike, you may have witnessed this. I think you would have been the only person to witness this. Uh, this was the Central Michigan uh, Grand Valley State game on Sunday. Uh, what had happened uh, during this particular game was that, you know, obviously, you know, when these guys play, they get uh, they fairly serious and, uh, you know, fairly intense. And what had happened was that one of the stars for uh, Central Michigan, uh, Bryce Corian, uh, was about 10 feet away from me. And he launched a ball, and unfortunately his timing on his release was poor, and it nailed me square in my groin. <laughs> and I, I dropped. I mean, it wasn't acting. It was just involuntary motion. All the nerves from the waist down just shut off down. And uh, again, that that pause for both teams occurred where everyone went, ooh. And, and meanwhile, I'm down on the ground, writhing in pain on the sideline. My arm is raised, and I'm circling my hand, yelling, keep going, keep going. <laughs> of course, it was in a falsetto, given the circumstances, but... Uh, everyone got a, got a kick out of it, except for me at that time. Um, but but the point is that both the players and the officials uh, have a, a shared responsibility in affecting uh, the atmosphere of the game. And if both sides, uh, both teams can keep it lighthearted, as well as the officials, I think it results in a much better uh, game experience for everyone involved, uh, except me, who ended up on the floor. Yeah, well, but you, you didn't know Bryce hit his target uh, pretty well. I hate you, and I hate you. <laughs> I wish we could go out with the uh, with that mental image in our mind there, but we're going to uh, take it to our last debate topic, which is um, uh, the All Star Game format. Which I kind of threw this out there. Um, this year's national tournament will feature the third um, different format uh, of the All Star Game, and uh, the first year it was Michigan versus the world. 
Uh, last year, it was names drawn out of a hat. And this year, um, two captains are going to choose two different teams. So, And it's going to be a much larger game with more balls on the court. Uh, so those are your three formats. Guys, which one uh, – obviously, we haven't seen this new one, but which one do you feel is the best fit for the NCDA? What were those again real quick? Uh, the first year was Michigan versus the world. Uh, the Last year, it was names drawn out of a hat. And this year, the teams will be drafted, and it will be, I think, a much bigger game with more balls in play. Um, I kind of feel that I would go with the third one, if possible, simply because, as Kent, we play on Friday. We play with, like, 20, 30 people at a time with, like, 15, 20, 25 balls where it's live off walls and live off ball and live off person. So it gets kind of chaotic. And honestly, that's a lot of fun. So I feel if you pump up the people to maybe like 20 on 20 with like 15, 16 balls, that would probably be hilarious as long as everyone wants to play in a fun manner, not a we're going to stall ball everything out kind of manner. Yeah, I love the uh, I love the topic that they have or the uh, uh, the way they're going to do it now. You know, having two captains pick uh, out of these forty man rosters or whatever it is. But uh, I cannot. I, I I've tried a couple times to bring it up. I cannot wait for the alumni all star team and the NCDA all star team, the current players. So I'm waiting for the alumni current players one. That's what I'm betting on. Yeah, that's an interesting format we hadn't talked about. Leslie, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, after playing like through the girls' game, in which, like, it felt like half of us really wanted to be there, and the other half just kind of was not really putting their heart into it, like me, I was just excited to play. I was just so happy to be there and see all of my friends that were on the other teams, like in DePaul and all that. And it just felt like, you know, with that game and also watching the All-Stars game from 2012, that... You know, half the people really wanted to do it, and the other half just didn't really care. And, like, that's the biggest issue is if you don't have – if everybody's not meshing together to really care about what you're doing, it's just going to kind of pitter out. And I'm really hoping with the new format that you guys are doing of, you know, it being goofy, brave little toasters versus the all-stars thing from that movie. The Monstars. Yeah. Come um, on, Leslie. Um, Space Jam. Oh, you're killing me. I draft Bill Murray. <laughs> <laughs> I got Jordan. Bugs Bunny here. You know, have, oh my god, you guys are ridiculous. To, to just have that kind of whole energy going into it, it's I'm really looking forward to seeing how that's going to play out at Nationals. Uh, as much as I have a little issue with the state up north, uh, I think <laughs> I think the Michigan versus the world was one of the best for the league because maybe not now because the dynamic of the league is changing a little bit in the strength. Um, but when you have that dominance that Michigan was having, it was a bit of a challenge to see what they would put out and what the rest of the teams would put out um, to see if they can compete. And they clearly didn't versus Michigan. Um, it would be Interesting to see how this new one works out. I do like the idea of having two captains, each of the regions represented. Um, and I must add that I know I was glad to watch the girls' all-star game. Why? Is it just because it was a bunch of ladies playing with rubber balls? Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> there is something nice about that. Well, I, at the end of the day, I mean, this is a this is a not a throwaway game, but a fun game. I mean, it's supposed to just uh, have everyone enjoy themselves, have a good time. What I might suggest is have every team nominate you know a certain number of players to fit whatever roster you guys are looking at, and uh, from there just have the captains draft in schools as opposed to individual players, and, and just go from there. Um, if I may make a slight suggestion there, sure. Sure. break it down buy teams, like have them send, let's say, a gunner, a catcher, and or like and a blocker. So like send three people with completely different skill sets and then have them kind of separate out so you know what you're picking at. But the problem is are other teams do they have dedicated gunners, blockers and catchers, or is it just one of those eh, you're a jack of all trades. You put all your points 
across the board, whereas, like, somebody that's like, oh, hey, I'm going to put all of my skill points into dodging and blocking. We have now turned dodgeball into an RPG. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think um, I was a big fan of the Michigan versus the world because of the inherent rivalry that came with that. You know, Michigan was out to prove that they were um, the best, uh, you know, four dodgeball teams um, in the country, and they proved that. But, you know, Ryan brought this up, and it's right that that format would not work, um, you know, this year with the way the league is changing. But I think with any game, you have to give it um, some inherent stakes for it to be interesting and for people to actually care. And um, I don't know specifically how you do that. Um, If we saw maybe a shift toward, um, say, Kentucky and Maryland were the two kind of powerhouse states, uh, then maybe you could do Kentucky and Maryland versus the world or, or whatever. But... Um, I, I am excited about this this year's format. I think um, selecting teams uh, is going to be fun. It will kind of lend a uh, playground feel to it, taking us back to our roots there. Um, but I, I don't know. I heard last year's game was not that exciting, and no one really cared uh, that much about it. So I hope that that doesn't happen again this year. Yeah, I mean, you have to have a sense of why – what are we playing for, right? Michigan right. versus the world. Everybody else in the Michigan teams wanted to beat the crap out of the rest of the teams. Everybody from the rest of the teams wanted to show, oh, Michigan's not as good as they think they are, and they wanted to beat us, right? So that was a huge rivalry, right, just like you said, Josh. So you got to put some kind of meaning behind it. If there's more meaning behind it, then everybody's going to want to play, and they're going to want to do well and you know perform. Well, uh, unless anyone has anything else to add, um, I will just say that I threw out the idea of uh, Republicans versus Democrats. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it, that's just kind of a joke, but it's. I wish that there was a way we could evenly split the league into some sort of um, two factions that could then have that have that rooting interest as they're playing. Uh, does anyone it is else? Common knowledge that dodgeball has a mm-hmm. liberal bias. Yeah, the strength would definitely <laughs> be on on that side. I'm afraid. Um, <laughs> But does anyone else have anything they want to add as far as the All-Star game is concerned? I was going to say, maybe you can give them, like, a grand prize or something. Like The grand prize which is pers- which per- Whichever team wins gets to select one person on the other team, and one person on their team, have the winning team get one free shot at the guy. <laughs> that would be some good incentive if there were someone like Jason Stein still in the league. Or maybe oh, God. What <laughs> <laughs> about uh, the EMU or DePaul mustache ball? I mean, let's make that the prize. There you go. Yeah, I agree. Or some kind of prize. Just some sort of stakes, I think, is what we're getting at. That that, that needs to be kind of the focus of the game to make it interesting and fun to watch. Um, I know. Extra slice of pizza at the end of the day. There you go. Everyone could use an extra slice if they get any pizza at all. Yeah, I was going to say, if they get any. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole other issue. Um Let's kind of move on here to this next topic, which we've kind of labeled um, uh, league retention. And, Bomas, why don't you kind of get us going with this? Well, you know, that's kind of been a theme with me uh, because I I take the administrative view on things and just trying to get uh, more teams going, more teams stable. uh, And and as I'm sure anyone in the leadership position in any of the teams knows, uh, recruitment is a 24-7, 365 job. Uh, and you really need to keep bringing people in, keep being enthusiastic uh, about your product. And it is, in fact, a product. Uh, you know, the, the experience that you've, uh, you're giving to people in terms of practice, in terms of games for their teams, in terms of the national tournament. And it's just something that everyone needs to be cognizant about and uh, constantly working at in order to expand their roster and just get a stable of players who are showing up every day at practice. And that's just something that needs to be uh, kept in the back of everyone's mind. Yeah, you know, we talked about it. Ryan mentioned it earlier, uh, just keeping people around, right? I mean, once you graduate a, a big number of players, it's hard to build up that that uh, that roster again. So Central Michigan won the national championship two years ago, but they are hardly putting 15 players together now. So, I mean, it's kind of, you just, you really got to recruit. You really got to know and find those people that want to play and love to play. You know, us six sitting right here, you know, we love to play. I love, I I, I can't talk about it enough. I get made, I get laughed, I get laughed at like no other when I talk about it because I still talk about it all the time. 
But, you know, just just recruiting is such a huge thing to keep these teams around. Um, I know that with recruiting, like, Kent, from, like, the first couple of years that I played, like, our um, our veterans would, on the first couple of days, they'd be like, oh, my God, fresh meat, just face shots galore. And we kind of had to, in order to recruit, like, pull back from that. And we actually told each other that the veterans just been like, hey, don't go for blood. If you're going to go for blood, go against another veteran. We need people. <laughs> And just kind of pull back from that. And when we finally, like, pulled back within the first, like, week or two or three to show people, hey, it's actually fun, and we face shot at each other, it helped get that retention that we didn't have before. And, you know, especially since, you know, for a long while, like, I was the only girl, and then suddenly we got an influx of girls, and we were able to keep them because we didn't completely just go for their faces and go for the kill shot, which really, really helps keep fresh people that are in. And they're like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I've never played a sport in my life to be able to come back every week. Uh, yeah. I mean, being that Ken also, I mean, I know what Leslie's talking about. I mean, but yeah, we had to, because we felt that that was a problem that we were just destroying new kids and then they weren't having fun because we were just beating them up. And they didn't want to come back. Um, but it also just sucks when, like, te- whole teams just disband and are no longer a part of the league. I know it sucks that EMU is no longer a part and Louisville is no longer a part of the league. Um, it's nice to see that we've had a sudden big number of growth in the league, but I still like to keep the teams we have. Jason, um, go ahead. No. Granted, you said it before, I may be a masochist on this subject. I don't think I am, but when I came in, I had a certain player on our team. He's kind of an old fart, but by the name of Grandpa. He's hunting me for the... Wrong schooler, Mike. <laughs> App nickname. He tried hunting me for the first three weeks at my face. Hit me in it twice. I caught both the balls and pissed him off even more. Uh... Personally, for me, if he wouldn't have been gunning for me so hard, I probably wouldn't have stayed on the team. But I also have a background of heavy-hitting like sports like wrestling, boxing, football, lacrosse, and rugby. So, I mean, certain people need certain pushes in order to keep them. Some people may want that harder play. Some people may not. So, I mean, I don't know if that's just me. That's a great point. Well, uh... Th- there, there's sort of a classic problem that a number of different schools have, have faced. Some of them have weathered that, that problem. Some of them have folded afterwards. Uh, and, and the problem that I'm speaking of is that every once in a while, you'll, you will get a huge recruiting class. I mean, you may get 20, 25 different people, all of which were there every practice, all of which are incredibly uh, tightly knit with each other, and they are just a cohesive unit all the way through their four years of college. And then they leave. And then no one is left. And because everyone felt uh, that they were a cohesive unit, no one bothered to keep recruiting people in those intervening years. And because of that, the team had one good year for them, and then they just completely folded up. And that is something that needs to be guarded against at every single school, whether they recognize it or not, uh, you always need to bring bring fresh talent in because some people may transfer, others may find a different club sport, others may just get sick of it or get into a, a situation where they have a, a conflict with one or two players on the team. And you always need to be bringing in fresh talent and welcoming them uh, into your organization and making them feel at home and, more importantly, encouraging them to bring their people in and expanding the network in, in such a way that the the program just sort of feeds upon itself and just keeps expanding and always has that stable uh, wheelhouse of at least 15 to 20 people every single practice. And I think, um, you know, t- uh, kind of building upon what you said, Bomas, is that uh, for me, it all goes back to the leadership of your club. And uh, working extensively with Louisville to try to get them off the ground, you know, for however many years, I can tell you that their problem consistently was leadership. 
And not just not having a strong leader, I think you also have to guard against the flip side of that, which is having a leader that does everything by themselves. Because what happened when that player graduates? That would be me. Yeah, exactly. So if you are a club captain, um, you need to be sharing with uh, your um, the person that is going to you know secede you on the team. You need to be sharing with them. Uh, here's how the paperwork goes. These are the events that we go to to recruit. These are the games we play. This is how I pick a roster. You need to be sharing those things because if you leave and you haven't done that, the club will fall apart. And, you know, under my captaincy, one of the things that I was very proud of is that we never came to a game with less than 15 people. So I think it really comes back on the leader of a team to kind of maintain the reputation of your team within the league. And um, if you have a strong captain, you know, they will do whatever it takes. Like I had to scramble and call people last minute before tournaments our first year just to have enough people to play because we had committed to playing. So um, that would be something I would say as well is, um, you know, have a strong leader in place, but make sure that leader shares his knowledge with other people. Yeah, and that's something I fear with some of these new teams like RIT and VCU. It seems like their captain is a leader of their team and has ran everything and got their whole team set up by themselves. I just hope that they have someone that they can pass it on to once they graduate. I know when me and Kyle were trying to find captains for this current year, um, one being Dan Shackelford, at the beginning of the year he wasn't sure he wanted to be a captain. Um, but after just constantly talking to him about it and showing him that it's not that hard to do it, um, he eventually came around and he loves it now. Yeah, another thing that uh, that I've seen, uh, not only in dodgeball but other club sports that I was a part of, was having a captain or a president that's a junior. So when that captain or president is a junior, the following year they give up the title so their senior year, they're not, you know, so overwhelmed with everything, graduating and all that stuff, school. But they're teaching that other junior that they just passed it off to uh, and taught them everything that they did before. So that, you know, when that that next player, when he goes into his senior year, the next person that takes over is a junior, right? So they can always pass it back and forth, back and forth. So it's never, I'm a senior, I'm graduating with all of my knowledge of what I did and how I ran the team. And then you took that with, you, you took that with them and then they never talked about it again or told anybody on their team. So I think making sure that you keep it in and um, you keep it in the team is uh, a, a huge part as well. I agree with that. With uh, the captains that we picked uh, for this year, we knew they were each going to have two years of being the captain. Um, and I know when Kyle Fitzpatrick took over the Kent team, he was only a sophomore, so he had three years that he was going to be a captain for the team. So, yeah. Um, this is kind of how I've wanted to do things at Western, and it's actually worked out pretty well thus far. Is that um, when I was a uh, a junior, I picked out um, Felix Peroni, who is the alternate captain now for Western, as my successor, and kind of trained him for two years. So that when he took over as a junior, uh, he had, you know, a lot of knowledge and experience that I had, you know, passed on to him. And then that same year, Felix's first year, he chose his successor, who is Alex Sorrells. And then, um, you know, Alex will do the same thing this year in his junior year, pick out his successor, and that person will take over after Alex graduates. So just to give um, teams out there an idea of how can I – uh, make sure that this team is still going after I leave. That's what's worked for Western thus far. Yeah, that's perfect. So um, let's move on kind of to um, a broader topic here, uh, which is the future of the league. And this can be uh, what you hope to see happen, what you think will happen, uh, some changes that you'd like to see made. Um, and as, uh, you know, the inventor of fire and the NCDA bonus, <laughs> why don't you get us going with this one? Well, honestly, I don't know that I'm qualified to talk on this subject anymore. You guys know how I love to just go on at length about any topic I think I, I have some sort of a, some sort of knowledge in. Uh, but I mean, 
this is a product of its membership, and wherever people want to take it, they will take it. If they want to try and make this into you know the biggest things in sliced bread, they will. If they just want it to be uh, an over-glamorized uh, a beer league, uh, they can do that as well. Uh, I, I'd like it to get to the sort of the point of you know USA Ultimate, where it's a, a non-profit and has a, a fairly competitive national tournament, but that's just my personal preference, and I'm just one voice uh, who no longer plays versus, uh, I think, about, what, 500, 600 active players right now? So, you know, it's uh, really up to the, the current membership more than anything else. Yeah, you know, I agree with Bomas as well. Is just, it's got to be, it's within the league. The league has to expand. They have to contact other schools and get them to join. Um, one thing I do want to see, though, is as the league keeps growing, and I know it will because I've seen it happen, I've seen more teams join, um, I want to see that tournament, the national championship, to I want to see that tournament grow, and I want to see it to go to three days, actually. And, I, and you know, I played uh, club volleyball as well at Central, and uh, when we went to nationals, it was a five-day thing. So you had four days of games and then one day in there where you just hung out and you got to meet all these teams. And uh, I want to see it where it's a three-day thing. So Friday there's teams there, Saturday there's teams there, and Sunday is the is the final uh, the final bout between all the teams. So uh, that would be that would be one of the things I would really like to see. So um, yeah, jumping in, Mike, I, I would like to see the. Um, the national tournament grow to include more teams. I wouldn't mind to see it move to three days. I think that um, – oh, Leslie, I'm so sorry. Uh, I'll, I'll make it quick. Um, I would like to see the national tournament grow, and I think you would have to increase the roster size for that. Um, but one thing I would really like to see is expansion out west, um, incorporating more teams out there. And, um, you know, like Boma said, I guess – I, w- I want to see the club, the the you know the association go however its members want it to go. But personally, I would love to see it get to the NCAA level one day, and uh, be able to give out scholarships and be on ESPN. I think you know that's a bit of a pipe dream, maybe. Uh, but well, Title Nine's getting in your way for that. That's a whole other yes. discussion. Uh, oh God. Yeah. So um, Leslie, why don't you go ahead? Well, you you kind of took my little. Uh, idea there of getting scholarships and stuff like that and seeing it on um, ESPN because whenever I come would come home and talk to like friends and family that have no idea that college students actually play dodgeball and trying to explain this to family members what I did for four years and why I keep going back on Fridays to like hang out with as an alumni like with the new kids and show them you know hey this is what you you know should try doing and blah 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 People usually start quoting that damn movie, and I. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, it's so irritating. Coworkers quote that movie, and I want to like throw things at them. <laughs> you want to throw a wrench at them? <laughs> I am about to. Like I've honestly threatened to bring a dodgeball into work and just start beating them in the face with it. Oh, I have one at work. What? <laughs> I, no, no, I've got one. No, and and. and... You know, if you you've got access to some of my Facebook photos, I've actually purchased. You know, you know how some uh, retiring uh, basketball players get their their uh, their jersey and it's framed and it's all pretty. Yeah. I have the three jerseys that I had when I was an undergrad framed <laughs> and in my office. And anytime my coworkers give me uh, grief about it. I just ask him to stand by that brick wall over there while I go grab the dodgeball out of the uh, the, uh, <laughs> the the trophy uh, case out in the front office, and uh, suddenly the, the talk stops. I don't know why. Well, what I think is funny is um, Jason and I actually got to play for my company's uh, dodgeball team for Corporate Challenge, and that certainly shut a bunch of people up when we took ter- first place in the division. And it got them to realize maybe we shouldn't pick on her about this because she can actually throw this and land it on my face. But <laughs> it would be nice to, like, you know, get people outside of it to give it the recognition that I think it deserves. Because after going through it and seeing, first of all, the incredible athletes that are in the league, but also seeing the different teams and how they come together. Because I know, like, for instance, 
can't we kind of act like a family and we have like our NC or our alumni come back every year for an alumni game. And I see kind of the same thing with DePaul, like they're so close knit and this and that. And I have a feeling it's the same way with the other teams too. Like you just hang out together and you guys are always around each other and you become like that second college family. And nobody really wants to give it the credit that I personally think it deserves. And it would be great to see that happen in the future of getting the recognition of like, hey, maybe we should give scholarships for this. Or maybe we should, you know, start filming this stuff like any other college sport. I was just going to say, I agree with, Moving it uh, or moving it to a three-day tournament, and I thought I remember Zach Brown was trying to get teams there for this year's national on Friday to play some games. I think he still is. Um, which I mean, that'd be real interesting to see if he can pull that off, and if teams would be willing to come down on a Friday, because you know it's going to be harder with teams have when players have classes and they have homework they have to attend to, even though dodgeball should come first. Yeah, homework, <laughs> homework. Um, yeah, I think what um, he had brought up with that was possibly um, having the teams that are closer in proximity, like Western and maybe some of the Ohio teams, come down on Friday and get a couple games in. We'll see if that happens. Um, yeah, whoever wants to jump in next, go ahead. Yeah, well, talking about the three-day thing, actually, and when it comes to school, I know at Central uh, – for other club sports, if you're going to a national tournament, you can get written consent from the school that says your your teachers like you that that you can give to your teachers, your professors, saying like, hey, I'm not going to be in class, I'm going to be out of town, I need this stuff, and I'm excused for this reason. So there's you can you can get excused for that other than school, so you don't have to do some school stuff. Uh, one thing I was going to say, which I think I honestly just forgot what it was. Wow, wonder if we're being old now. Oh, the going on the recognition part. When we were at the Ben Venue tournament and we first walked in wearing our jerseys, like stupid college kids would, we had a bunch of old people just looking at us and kind of laughing. We were starting to warm up our arm, and granted, when you're warming up, you don't look like you throw very hard, and they were laughing even harder. And I open my arm and I throw about 70 miles an hour. As soon as it hit the wall and reverberated through the gym, everybody was ripping out their schedule trying to figure out what team we were on. <laughs> so, I mean, if it actually got out there, I feel there'd be a bigger falling when cop, when kids actually got to college. If they saw some of the games or at least heard about it, you'd have a better shot of like recruiting and retaining people and actually keeping the sport going. That and we did have one guy from Kent that was like a sophomore, and he came up to us. He's like, I was wondering if a couple of you guys would be around here playing. And I'm like, yeah, I just graduated, and I just started working. He's like, oh, well, I'm an intern, and they said that I could go and play and do this and that. And so it was cool to kind of see at least one of our own, like, out there and about. But the adults, the real adults, quote, unquote, uh, didn't take it too seriously until they saw him watch a ball and then heard me screaming and throwing things like I tend to do. <laughs> All right, well, let's move it on here to our to our final topic. And uh, Bomas, I'm just going to turn this one over to you. All right. Well, uh, as a whole bunch of you know, uh, DePaul is a colorful bunch of characters for a whole number of reasons. <laughs> uh, one of them being that they tend to do uh, an opening game dance, uh, or it's traditionally called a haka, and a bunch of teams, soccer teams from Australia and New Zealand do this, and it's usually supposed to, meant to be intimidating. Um, I don't know if the same adjective can be used to describe what DePaul actually does, uh, but it, of course it's always a great question to figure out what exactly they're going to be doing uh, at the, uh, the start of the tournament uh, in April. My particular guess is that they're going to do the Gangnam-style chorus dance at the end of that uh, music video with Team Captain Zygmus Maloney dressed in the eponymous uh, blue tuxedo with black trim and doing the entire dance incredibly seriously just out of sheer absurdity. But that's my guess. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think we're going to top that one. No, no if, he does, if they do that, that would be the best thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I think that's the only viral video out that's actually worth doing. You mean watching? No, for them doing it. Well, I think what whatever it is, we can agree that it will be spectacular and entertaining 
And they, like Boma said, will probably take it very seriously. I demand pyrotechnics. <laughs> I'm sure Zach would be happy to oblige. Um, so I think we're going to go ahead and wrap this up, guys. Um, out there in listener land, I hope you guys have enjoyed. And, um, you know, we have greatly enjoyed um, getting to talk dodgeball here for the past hour. So um, we'll do it again soon. And uh, signing off, uh, this is Josh Raymer. Uh, this is Leslie Ellison. Jason Holman. Alex Bomas. Ryan Mann. Mike McCarthy. We will see you guys next time. I want to add a real quick note here before we sign off. Um, this is actually not the entire podcast um, that we had prepared for you guys. I realized um, about 30 to 45 minutes in that despite my program telling me that the recording had been going on, it actually wasn't. Totally my fault. Uh, I apologize to our all-star panel there. Uh, the topics that we didn't get to uh, hear on the recording here were um, uh, our first games as members of the NCDA. The coolest moment that we had seen live, um, the, the uh, change to the opening rush, but and bumping the number of players in the court uh, from 30 down to 20. So um, we apologize that you didn't get to hear those topics um, in this podcast, but we are going to tackle uh, tackle them in the next episode, which uh, we plan to do before Nationals. So tune in next time to hear um, all of those topics, and uh, we thank you again for listening. Good night.